0: morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I think I recognize some of you. It's been a couple weeks. Um, we were away on vacation. I want to thank you uh, for allowing my family and I to go away and get a little bit of a break. We were able to travel a bit out to the northwest corner of our country. Beautiful, beautiful places. Scott has blessed us um, just with some of the views and the scenery. I we're able to, to spend a couple days at Yellowstone uh, National Park, um, survived two days in a tent. We're still married after that. Uh, but God blessed us um, one, one afternoon with a rainbow that I have never seen the brilliance of those colors before. Um, at night, the stars... Um, and to think that, that God has blessed us in his grace. We talk about, we sang about, worthy alone is his name. God in his grace has given to us all of these things in creation to be enjoyed. So that we live with the purpose of giving God the glory back. We are blessed to live in a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, I, I missed you. I have to tell you that honestly. Uh, and I'm glad to be home. I, I love you. And it's evident uh, in times apart that I'm anxious to come back and, and come to the task that God has before um, me in preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I learned a lot. I learned while we were in Idaho that, that the speed limit in Idaho is 80 miles an hour, believe it or not. I also learned as I got uh, pulled over for speeding that it's, that it's not 80 miles an hour on every single road in Idaho. Um, I just needed to confess that to you. That's the only sin in the last two weeks uh, that I've committed. I just wanted to let you know that. As the pastor, as the elders, are going to be kind of brought to the forefront in our text today. I needed to be honest and confess that to you. What an amazing text. It is full to overflowing. We need God's help. Let's bow our heads together And approach the throne of grace and ask that God lead us and that God have his way and his will accomplished through the teaching and preaching of his word. Father, as we come before you, we understand worthy is your name. We're able to come to you because of the name and through the work, the atoning work, of the Lord Jesus Christ and what was accomplished on the cross. Father, we are so unworthy. And we thank you, Lord, that we can be in relationship with you. Father, I thank you for this body um, that you have brought together. Lord, for what you're doing in hearts and homes. I pray, Lord, specifically for those that are going through times of struggle, those who are under attack, those who are sensing exhaustion or frustration, worry or fear I pray for our dear sister Roberta Muthler who recently lost her husband Richard I thank you for this body that cared for that family I pray for Rob and Nicole right now as Nicole's in labor I just ask Lord blessings and guidance upon a little one as um, Lord willing you welcome soon into this world Father, we just thank you for the message you have given to us and how you have called us to disperse and to dispense the good news. Father, I lift up uh, Seth. I would ask the uh guidance and protection for your perfect will to be accomplished. Thank you for his heart. I would ask God that you would make me as brave as my son. Ultimately, that you would be glorified. Pray, Lord, for every single one of us as we take the little bits and pieces that have been given to us and offer them to you. Father, Father, we desperately... Rely upon you for every breath and, and may every may every word, may every movement be with an understanding and responsibility that you have a perfect and a sovereign will that you will accomplish. And we delight in the fact that you'd give us a little a little bit, a little part of accomplishing that for your glory. Guide us now in this word. Guard my lips and my mouth. And may we together learn what you have for the body. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We introduce uh, the last chapter um, in our book, in 1 Peter, our series that we call Stand in Christ, on Christ, and for Christ. Lord, Lord willing, we have... You've heard a lot. Lord willing, you have learned a lot. And it's hard to review four chapters. Let me, let me give to you a couple of reminders of the things that we are called to do as a church, as a body. Ones who surrender and submit to the authority of God's word. We're, we're to be holy as he is holy. We are to surrender and constantly submit. We're, we're to lay aside. We're to abstain. We're to be ready always as, as individuals, we are to be self-controlled, we are to be sober-minded, we are to keep loving even when it's hard, to keep loving. We're to keep serving, we're not to be surprised when trials come, we are actually to rejoice, we're actually to trust our soul, as Peter writes, to the faithful creator. Why? Why? Because if you have offered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been chosen, you have been set apart, you have been sanctified, and because of God's mercy alone, you have been born again, and you have an inheritance that is waiting for you that cannot fade, that is kept in heaven by the power of God. Think of that. Lots of instruction throughout the book of 1 Peter on how to live, on how to think, on how to act every single day, but especially today today. This day, and the reason is because this day, this time that we live in is a really difficult time to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. As we introduce chapter 5, you will very quickly sense that it is different from every single other chapter. It's different from the previous four because the the author for Peter, who is right, is not addressing the church. So to speak, he's addressing the leaders of the church. He does not address the people. He addresses the pastor and the elders. He doesn't address the sheep. He addresses the shepherd. The reason is this, because in difficult days that we live in, God's people need, they need godly leadership. Now think about big picture, step back, what are we doing? We are seeking to accomplish and fulfill a a mission and vision that God has given to us in our community. To build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are literally transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pause on that. Lives are transformed. Do you realize, do you understand what that means, what is happening? It means that lives that are, are broken and, and fragmented and in pieces, lives that are wrecked are made whole through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What what lives transforms means that those that are sick are healed. Those that were weak are made strong. Those that are lost are found. Those that were blind now see. Those that were living ungodly lives, unrighteous lives are living godly lives and righteous lives. Those individuals in our community, some represented in this very room, who are living completely lives for the flesh and in the flesh, are now what? Living in the spirit, walking in the spirit. Lives change in this community, and guess what? The evil one, the enemy, Satan sees that and he hates it. He is the father of lies. He loves destruction and he watches change lives within the context of the local church and through the preaching and teaching of the word of God and he will do whatever is necessary to discourage, to thwart. He will kick at and he will lie to and he will pick on every single one of us. Marriages and homes, families come under attack. Let me assure you of this, and Peter is bang on with this. He knows that leaders, pastors and elders of churches that hold and adhere to the gospel of Jesus Christ will be attacked. And that's why Peter says you need to pay attention. Now Aaron concluded both Mark and Aaron did exceptional jobs as they were preaching when I was away it, Aaron reminded us in in the end of chapter four that it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God's. Which means what? what? What is the responsibility that leaves with us? Every single one of us on a regular basis go to the doctor for a physical, just to check out everything. You go to the dentist for a checkup, you meet with your academic advisor to check up on your grades and see how you're doing in your in your program. Are you achieving and accomplishing what you should be? You even, you even drive your car to the mechanic for a tune-up once in a while. We're doing exactly the same thing this morning. We have got to examine, is the church doing, is the church being what God has designed and intended for it to be? Are we, are we strong or... And, and healthy, or are we weak and sick? If you are instructed repeatedly throughout the word of God, follow the leader. You better ask the question, is your leader or your leaders following the leader? Another way we could say it is what? If you're to follow the shepherd, is your shepherd following the great shepherd is the term that Peter actually uses. Some of you are sitting here and say, you know what? I am thankful for a message like this. Sometimes you get tired of fingers pointing your direction, right? Now there's fingers pointing this direction. Hold on. Here it is. 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. Listen very carefully to the word of the Lord. So I exhort, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter begins with this: "I, I exhort the elders among you." Peter says, "I implore, I appeal." What he's doing is this. I am pointing a finger at, and I am speaking directly to pastors and elders. The word that is used in verse 1 is presbyteros. For clarification, whenever you see this word elder, it's interchangeable. It can refer to pastor. It can refer to overseer. In some contexts, it even refers to the word bishop. It's all speaking about the same office before you think like, okay, I can just get caught up on some sleep now. I can check out because this is addressed. No, 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 that's not it. At all. The big idea of this text comes from verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. The word shepherd or puyamin in only works if there's oversight of the sheep. Therefore the best way, in all honesty, the only way to examine what kind of a job the shepherd or shepherds are doing is to examine what? The health and the condition of the sheep, of the body. Therefore, there's a responsibility right now before you check out to ask yourself some very pointed questions. You're asking yourself, am I being led and fed? Am I being led properly in the right direction for spiritual growth and well-being? Am I being fed? Am I being nourished properly? Am I being cared for by the pastor and elders of this church? Am I loved? Am I being protected? Am I being provided for? Am I safe? Am I secure? If we're going to check up on how the church is doing, if we're going to check up on how the leaders are doing, we have got to evaluate and examine and ask the hard questions that nobody really wants to ask. Now, let me make make very clear that there are specific character qualifications that are listed for pastors and elders. It's found in 1 Timothy 3. It's actually repeated in Titus chapter 1. Okay, let, let me read this just so that you understand. This isn't just anybody who stands up and says, I'd like, to be, I'd like to be one of those guys. Listen to this list that we have to keep before us. 1 Timothy chapter... Chapter 3, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it's the same word, presbyteros, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. of the devil, just so that you understand the character qualifications that are outlined in Scripture for a pastor and elders. Now, may I speak on behalf of the pastor and elders? Let me also remind you, as you ask these questions, there is no perfect pastor. There's no perfect elder. We're all sinners saved by grace. And so we understand, as we ask these questions, as we examine the text, and we say, okay, if we're to follow the leader, is the leader, or the leaders, Following the leader. I want you to ask yourselves a very specific question. The first one is this. You can write this down. Speaking towards the pastor, speaking about the elders, I want you to ask this question. Does he have a close personal relationship with Christ? In a sense, it's either evident, it's either known, or it's not known. Does he have a close personal relationship with Christ? Peter says this, I exhort the elders as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, Peter does not introduce himself, and he actually could have, as some amazing apostle. Peter, the amazing apostle, the one who was there, he doesn't do that he doesn't introduce himself. He could have Peter, the, the successful spiritual leader, the, the foundation of... The, he doesn't do that. He doesn't introduce himself as Peter, the great preacher, and he was. He doesn't even introduce himself as a good fisherman, and I'm thinking he probably was a decent fisherman. Instead, he chooses to, to what, introduce himself simply as another elder. He says, I am one of you but but note the fact that he mentions that he is in verse 1 a witness of the sufferings of Christ and he is also a partaker in the glory to be revealed what it means first and foremost is that he was there he saw that's the office of an apostle he was called personally he knew he witnessed he saw Christ suffer It also says that he was a partaker in the glory to be revealed, a partaker, a participant of the glory. I think it speaks very, very clearly about the fact that Peter's looking forward, just like you and I, to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that God, in all of his glory, you realize that the only hope that we have to wake up every single day is that at one point in the future, Everything will go black. The sun, the stars, the moon, it all goes black. And and the Son of Man, in the brightness of His awesome glory, He what? He pulls the righteous unto Himself and He judges the wicked. Peter got a little glimpse. Remember when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration? He got a little glimpse of God's glory. P- Peter says, I, I know Him. I'm participating i'm partaking in that all of these both of these statements talk about the fact that he had a close personal relationship with jesus if anyone could say this it was this man you go to the record in the in the gospels it begins the very first one mentioned matthew chapter 4 it says that jesus saw what a a man whose name was simon they called him Peter. He was in his boats with his brother Andrew and they were fixing their nets, mending their nets. And Jesus called him and said, come and follow me. And I love this. It says immediately they left their nets and they followed him. That was Peter. If anyone was close, if anyone was there, Peter sat and he listened and he learned as Jesus Christ taught, as Jesus Christ preached. He literally followed Jesus everywhere throughout the Galilean countryside. I kind of envision Peter that he's right there. Like literally when Jesus stopped, boom, he bumped right into him. He was right there all the time. Peter was there with Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. Peter was there with Jesus as he ate in the upper room. Peter was there, if you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when Jesus was arrested and Peter was the guy who took out his sword supposedly to defend creator and sustainer of the entire universe Peter's the ultimate ADHD disciple and, and yet Peter also knew too vividly the pain of falling short of denying Christ of cursing Christ he, he knew all about the hot tears that streamed down his face when he cursed Christ He he knew all about the sense of failure when he took his eyes off of Jesus in that storm-tossed sea and he began to sink. Peter, that's the guy. That's him. He was there. He knew. He had a close relationship. We also know that Peter was what? The one who who got word and ran to the tomb. And it says that, that John ran on ahead, but John stopped and Peter ran into the tomb. He's the first one to see it's completely empty. Peter was the first one to preach Christ. It's very, very evident that he has a personal relationship. Now you look at pastors today and shepherds today and elders today and overseers today. We cannot witness firsthand. I don't believe the office of the apostle exists today. We can't watch firsthand what Peter watched. But we still can have a close personal relationship. We can still participate in the glory that awaits and understand that every hope of every day exists in what? In the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am completely convinced without any doubts that when a pastor saturates himself in the word of God, when an elder starts his day and ends his day in the word, it is completely evident, it's readily visible, that that man has a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They know of His saving grace and His mercy. They know of the powerful message and have studied the ministry, the perfect ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that they have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, recognize that He alone is Savior of their souls. I have been so blessed. I am so grateful ever since I was little. Just like some of these babies that will be dedicated, Lord willing, in the weeks to come, that I was dedicated as a little one. My mom and dad brought me to church. And the very first recollection I ever have, probably four or five years old, of the first pastor, the first man I ever associated with that word pastor, Pastor Bill Randolph. What a godly man. He mentored and discipled my own dad and mom. And I always think of the smile that he had. He is known as a man of joy. That's what a pastor should be. Think of the next pastor who was a a giant in my life, and literally he was a giant, 6'4", 6'5", Pastor Glenn Blossom. And we were serving on the mission field, and he was pastor of our home church, and he would come up to visit us, and he was a pastor that was characterized by love. When you spent time with him, you knew that he loved you. He cared for you. I think of another man. I was about six years old, the very first time that I visited his church, together as a family, First Baptist Church in Metuchen, New Jersey, Pastor Jim Miller. That was 40 years ago, and Pastor Jim Miller is still the pastor of First Baptist Church in Metuchen, New Jersey. And it's faithful. I think of a man that when I was a kid in school, I would listen to on Monday mornings in chapel, Pastor Austin called her and he'd preach and he'd scream. His, his face would turn red and he'd spit. You could feel it in the first row. But there was passion about the message of the gospel. I think of a, a, a mentor of mine. He actually pastors about an hour from here at, at Bloomsburg at Shiloh Bible, Dr. Doug Lyon. And, and I, I think of him as a man of of, of unbelievable, just winsomeness, fun and funny to be around, and yet he loves the Lord. It's evident, every single man uniquely called, uniquely gifted, and yet everyone, it's evident that God has used them as who they are and that they have a close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to ask that. Is it evident? Secondly, another question, ask this, does he willingly serve and love other people? Look what it says in verse 2, that that pastors, that elders are to shepherd the flock that is among you, not under compulsion, but willingly. This is is hard. This is humbling, I have to admit. I became a, a pastor... Um, In 1995, 20 years ago, as a matter of fact, this very month in August, it will be 20 years. And and I remember that being a pastor was not my first choice. It's not really what I wanted to do. And and God had other plans, and God called me to be a pastor, and and I did what I thought we were supposed to do. fine, God, I'll do it. I'll be the pastor that you want me to be. And, and, and I began to serve and, and, and I had the privilege of shepherding precious, precious people, and in spite of of me, and only 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 because of God's grace and the power of the gospel. People got saved and people got baptized, and babies were born and, and they were dedicated, and there were marriages and there were funerals and and churches grew but it wasn't because of me. And I have to be perfectly honest that the best thing, the best thing that I ever did in all of ministry was to leave the ministry. In 2010, I resigned. And we moved, and I went down with my wife and family to Florida to cut grass. I thought I'd be a professional grass mower. And I I didn't want to talk to anyone and, and I began to read. I listened to good music. My wife and I went to counseling together, specifically towards pastors and pastors' wives. I remember some of the books that I read. I had a, a friend, a missionary friend in China, and we talked um, online. And he challenged me to read The Contemplative Pastor by Eugene Peterson. And I read that, and we discussed that together. He was in China. I read God is the Gospel by Piper. I, I read The Reason for God by Keller. I, I read Crazy Love by Chan. I read a lot of stuff. I, I read a book that was given to me. It was called The Minister as Shepherds. I read this book in 2010. It's subtitled The Privileges and Responsibilities of Pastoral Leadership. The Privileges of Pastoral Leadership. You've got to be joking me. And I read this, and I I want to read to you a portion. Listen listen to this. What, what What the world most wants today is shepherding. The world has many comforts and luxuries and abundance. What it lacks is love. Love cannot be satisfactorily expressed to our generation in printers, ink, in evangelistic appeals, in pulpit eloquence, or in doctrinal statements. The expression which the world now demands is the love of the shepherd who takes the lambs in his arms, who gently leads those who have their young, who day by day lays down his life for the sheep. And and, and it, it began to make sense. Shepherd the flock. Not, not, not of compulsion, not in an obligatory sense. Fine, God, I'll do what you want. But out of love. And literally, things began to change. And I, I had a renewed love for people. I had a renewed love for God. A renewed love for His Word. I began to write again. Shortly after that one year off that I was introduced through a couple in our church right here to Big Woods, I can honestly say that I've never understood what it means to shepherd the flock until you realize that you need to do it with a sense of love. Now, it's interesting throughout God's word that there's the imagery of, of sheep, that the, the body are referred to as, as sheep. Now, I have to be careful. Sheep aren't always the wisest animals that have ever existed. Um but it's very instructive and very applicable. And there's a lot of lessons amongst sheep that are very similar to the way that a church exists. Sheep are, are social animals. They, they, they hang in kind of groups all together. And it's so evident. That happens all the time. People are always together. Let's have another barbecue here. Let's go to the new ones and have a party here. And we're heading over here together and we're going to eat dinner together. And they're always in, in groups. That's just like the church. Sheep are prone to wander. Think of that old hymn. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You realize that's, that's how sheep behave. They, they wander off. You know that, that sheep are are defenseless. When was the last time you ever had to break up a sheep fight? It doesn't it doesn't really happen like that. When have you seen a sign? Beware of sheep. It just doesn't snow. There, there's a there's a, a sense in the fact that they need to be protected, they need to be cared for, they need to be loved. Sheep need to be tended to. They need to be loved. And that's the image that God has given to us. So Peter addresses pastors specifically and elders specifically. Shepherd the flock, not under compulsion, not obligatory, not with a sense of, of duty to it. Yeah, this is what I've got to do. Not a sense of force, not a sense of guilt, but willingly. I was, I was a pastor for a very, very short time. And, and I was taken out to lunch by a man. He had been in ministry for a number of years. And, and as we concluded lunch, he went out to his car. He said, I think I need to give you a book. And he gave me a book. It was entitled, it was written by Hans Finzel. It was entitled, The Top 10 Mistakes That Leaders Make. I, I think he, he had it. He had it. Number one, the number one mistake that leaders face is trying to lead people that you don't love. If you ever attempt, it's not going to work. Fathers that are leading your own home, if you're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church, if you're not loving and sacrificing for your children, it's not going to work. Pastors, elders that attempt to lead a flock without loving them, it's not going to work. Third question you need to ask, does he honestly seek to be an example? the flock does he honestly seek to be an example to the flock it says not for for a shameful you shepherd the flock not for a shameful another word is dishonest gain but eagerly not domineering over those but being examples to the flock there's a comparison right here that the author Peter wants to make and it's the comparison between dictatorship and leadership there was, a, there was a man, an old man, he was Germany. He immigrated from Germany when we lived up in Nova Scotia, Canada, and, and he had a sheep farm. And I remember Mr. Hodasky telling us this, and I quote, You can never stand behind and drive a flock of sheep. You must walk ahead and let them follow you. It's, it's not a herd. You, don't, you, you herd cattle. You don't herd sheep. You, you, you have to have, in a sense, a relationship that is established so that they know and that they have a willingness to follow. The exact same principle of a shepherd and a sheep proves true of the church. When a pastor, when elders are an example, it encourages others to follow. And I believe there to be examples in virtually every single area of life. Examples in marriage, examples in family and child's rearing, examples in personal disciplines. In every single way. How motivated would you be to follow someone who's not doing... He's, he's encouraging you to serve more, to sacrifice more, to give more, to love more. And he's kind of sitting on his hammock or laying in his hammock, sipping raspberry iced tea, pointing and saying, you know what, you, you just missed a spot there. Yeah, why don't you go back and fix that spot up? Who wants to follow that? I don't want that. No, that's not to be. Shepherds should be amongst the sheep. Sheep do not determine the direction that sheep go. Shepherds determine the direction that sheep go. And shepherds need to know and understand the needs of the sheep. And so this is not a lording over or a brooding over, that's not how one leads. A pastor cannot lead. Elders cannot lead where they have not been themselves. Peter says, be an example to the flock. I was a little child. I was given a Bible probably 10 years old and my mom inscribed because my name is Timothy. And, and my mom was totally convinced in some way. I had no idea how you moms know this, but that as young, I was going to be in some way involved in ministry with people. And my mom in the front open leaflet of my Bible She inscribed these words out of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let no one despise your youth, but you be an example to the believers in word and conversation, in love, in spirit, in truth, and in purity. And I grew up with those on the front part. It's important to be an example in every single area of life. You need to ask the question, does your pastor, do your elders... Seek to be examples. Fourthly and finally, this is a tough one. Does he seek to please Christ more than pleasing others? Does he seek to please Christ more than pleasing others? In verse 4 it says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of Note what there's a shepherd or an under-shepherd, and then there is a chief shepherd. It's interesting that this text rings true of the same theme that winds its way all the way through the book of 1 Peter, and it's about submission. It's about surrender. There's a shepherd. Well, there's someone over the shepherd. You better believe it, a great shepherd. Remember that 1 Peter is written as a as a book that offers hope to people, people who are going through some difficult times, who are living in difficult days. And so what Peter does is that he makes mention of the Lord's return, that which offers ultimate hope. And it reminds pastors and shepherds and elders that when the Lord returns, that's the chief shepherd, the Lord is, Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, he alone is the one that measures, literally measures, man's ministry. The chief shepherd, Jesus alone, is the one who gives the reward for a faithful job or an unfaithful job he withholds. W- which is challenging here. and I, I feel, feel as, I, uh, as I have attempted to learn and, and to, to continue to grow in ministry, th- this is the biggest area that pastors struggle with. If there's a major mistake that pastors make It's the fact that they strive to please people and keep people happy more than pleasing God and keeping God happy. I I hear it all over the place. I talk to pastors all the time. I just had a pastor in my office recently and he was talking about we were dialoguing together on on pre-marriage and we were referring to a particular text of scripture, um, wives submit to your husbands, wives, obey your husbands. And literally said, I just take that word out. It's just, it's going to be upsetting to too many people. I said, what? You didn't just take a word out. Yeah, well, it's, just, it's not. No, we can't do that. Yeah, but if we upset the body, then they're not going to come to church. And they're not going to come to church. They're not going to put money in the offering. And then we're not going to be able to keep our doors open and our lights on. no, no. This is his church. It's not mine. It's not ours. The gates of hell will not prevail against. This is to be the house of God's, the house of prayer. He is to be glorified. He alone is to be what? Made happy. And so when you hear something that you're like, well, I really don't like that, it, it really it doesn't mean that we don't care. It doesn't mean that we don't love. It means that a decision has been made. And the elders have prayed... We're going to make the decision that ultimately, what, honors God, glorifies God, keeps God happy more than it keeps man happy. I know that's not a popular message, but that's the message that we see very clearly in Scripture. Peter writes writes with intentional emphasis, not on what, the ministry, so to speak, but on the minister. And so as what, as part of the flock, as the sheep, you need to ask these tough questions, hard questions. And you need to be honest about that. And we trust that if we are instructed in God's word to be submissive to pastoral authority or elder authority, we understand to ask the question. And okay, is my leader, if I'm going to follow the leader, is my leader following the leader? Does our shepherd have his eye on the great shepherd? It says that there's a crown of glory. I have no idea what that is, but God's got something reserved for only those few who are faithful and who are obedient. May that be our desire as a church as we advance for the gospel in our community, that we have a body, that we have an existence here that seeks to glorify God and honor him. Father, we thank you for your word, for your text. It is only in your strength that we can be obedient, and we ask, Lord, for you to give us that strength to be obedient. In your name we pray.